Hi folks, Bob Main here with another episode of today's Survival Show. Helping you do what you can with what you have where you are, as Teddy Roosevelt once said. Well, this is a practical show, folks. I take a look at prepping and I say, hmm, how can I put this in a common sense way so that everyday people can understand it and relate to it. And that's pretty much what this show is all about. I don't go tinfoil hat. I'm not all wacky and all that kind of stuff. I don't go tinfoil hat on you. I just keep this rooted in common sense. This episode, if you are a new prepper kind of overwhelmed, or if you know someone who's a new prepper just kind of getting into this and they're a little bit overwhelmed... This show is going to be good, and the one that I did recently with Glenn Tate on how you can recognize the signs of the stink hit in the fan. Both of those are probably pretty good for new preppers who are somewhat overwhelmed to listen to. So this episode, my good friend Matt Chusnick, uh, a prepper up in Austin, Texas, He's been through a couple of tropical storms in his life. Now, I've had people on here who have been through hurricanes and earthquakes and things. I think it's always good to hear someone's experience in dealing with a disaster. Would you agree? It's kind of neat, isn't it, to to listen to somebody and what they went through. And you hear about the mistakes they made and you hear about the the troubles that they went through and and how they got through it and how they survived it. And that's what this is all about, right? This is all about survival. So Matt went through a couple of tropical storms recently uh, here in Texas, and he's going to talk about that. I interviewed him. He shares his thoughts and his experiences, and hopefully that you know you can learn from it. Next week, I've got some good audio coming up, by the way. I just want to talk a little bit about that. In fact, I'll, uh, I'll save the rest of that for the end of the show. So... Let's get right into it. Here's my interview with Matt Chusnick about Tropical Storm Survival. My guest this episode, Matt Chusnick from the the capital city of Austin, Texas. Welcome back to the show, Matt. Thanks, Bob. I'm glad to be here again. Well, glad to have you. I just want everybody listening to know that, that Matt is one of the most talented knife sharpers, knife sharpeners, uh, in in the U.S., man, I tell you, you you've worked on probably. Uh, well, I know you've worked on a couple of my knives more than once. Yeah, I've, I've worked on let's see, probably about a half a dozen of of your knives. I'm, you know, and we're, you know, it's still it's fun. I, I just love doing it. Well, you're awesome. And for those listeners who may not know, a couple of years back, Matt contributed a really good interview on knife and tool sharpening, which is still available and it still applies today and it's still very good stuff. And you, you divulged some of your secrets on that. <laughs> I don't know if they're really secrets. They're, you know, it's some of the ideas that, you know, people make it seem to be this big mystery and big secret of how to sharpen a knife by hand, but... It's in reality. It's it's a fairly simple process. Uh, it just takes, like everything, practice. Well, it is a simple process. I know that. I was just kind of. Uh, I'll admit, I was slightly embellishing there, but <laughs> but it also takes something else. I don't have a whole lot of that. I need to learn is patience. That's true. <laughs> that, that is true. That's, that's this is my patience thing. You know, it's like I get frustrated. I'll go sharpen a knife. <laughs> 
Well, see, there you go. That is your escape. That's your way of... Everybody kind of has their, their stress relief, and, and yours is, is sharpening knives and playing with blacksmithing tools, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, today I'm getting as close as I can. I'm, I'm watching the uh, barbecue cook some ribs right now. <laughs> Are you doing that and talking to me at the same time? Oh, yeah. Well, oh. you know, it, it doesn't take much to, to watch a grill make food. So <laughs> I've heard it doesn't take much to talk to me either. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we have uh, arranged this because you've been through a couple of tropical storms, and I've had other people on the show that have survived some disasters, and you're another one. So you've been through Tropical Storm Allison and uh, Hurricane Rita. Yeah, I was. Uh, it kind of bookends my, my time in Houston. Uh, I moved down to Houston in uh, the end of 2000, and in 2001, we had uh, Tropical Storm Allison come in, which is still the only tropical storm that has ever had its name removed from the list. Why? Um, well, the the uh, NOAA, the National Oceanic, you know, the, the guys that do all the hurricane stuff, they make every year... They, they make a list of, of the named storms, and when a storm is really bad, they retire that name so that there's no confusion, so that they can say, oh, Katrina, and everybody knows Katrina happened in 2005. Right. You know, they'll, they, they'll be able to give an exact date. Well, Allison is the only tropical storm that they ever did that to so far. Oh, really? Yeah. That's how bad she was. And, uh, Wonder it, why she was still classified as a tropical storm. Probably because the winds weren't high enough. Is that? Yeah, it? the winds weren't high enough to to make it into a hurricane. Um, it, it, and really, uh, it would never have been as bad as it was, except for a couple of freak weather things. Um, when it came in, uh, it ran into a high pressure system up. Uh, to the to the north and the west, and it kind of stalled it out, and then pushed it back. Really? Um, okay. That's why it was so bad. As it as it actually went up, ran into the system, uh, sat there for a, about a half a day, and then moved back, and just kind of rolled over the area about three times because the weather said the weather pattern was such a, a funny one. Okay, interesting. Well, um, all right, let's start with Allison in 2001. So you, you, you survived that, obviously. You went through that. What was, it, what was it like, and what did you do to get through it? Well, you know, it, I mean, really, it was like just like a, a big thunderstorm is, is all it was really like, um, except we had rain for like two days, three days, constant. Did you lose power? No, I never lost power. Um, you know, honestly, I got really lucky just in the placement of where we were. Um, we didn't get any bad flooding. Now, the Friday that it started to come in, my wife picked me up from work, and the area that I was working in uh, started to have serious flooding. I and mean, we're talking uh, water up about halfway up on car rims. 
Oh wow! Okay, in the streets, and we we made our way back home, and and we got in, and we we had fortunately we had gone to the grocery store a couple of days earlier, and we had a good supply of stuff in the house. Um, you know, I mean, at this time, I wasn't doing the the whole prepping thing or anything like that. I was I was still kind of in the Wisconsin prepper thing. Which is, you know, keep about two weeks of food in the house. Yeah. Just in case of a blizzard or something like that. Which so, we got to keep more than that, but. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, it, you know, I mean, this is what I was doing and, you know, because that's what I was used to. I mean, I wasn't caught off guard like some of the people who had just, you know, a couple of days worth of food in the house and stuff. I mean, but we got home Friday night. Uh, we got in. And just shut ourselves up. And Saturday morning, uh, you know, you turn on the news and that's all there was. And we were seeing, you know, major highways were flooded. Uh, streets were flooded. As a matter of fact, it, it was so bad. Um, my father-in-law was actually had actually been calling us um, and trying to get in touch with us because uh, his house actually flooded. He had about two feet of water in his house. Wow. So that was a good welcome to Texas, right? Hey, welcome to <laughs> Hey Matt, welcome to Texas. Here's a tropical storm for you. Yeah, well, you know, it's let me see. I moved to uh, Minneapolis in 93, which was the summer of the flood, the big floods on the Mississippi. Yeah. You know, so it's like any any time I move someplace, we get serious weather. <laughs> so So what did you, know. you do during that? What do you what can you recall? I know that was 12 years ago, but what can you recall doing to um, help get through uh, Tropical Storm Allison? We, we watched a lot of the news. We, we kept uh, an eye out. Um, we kept an ear out with my father-in-law to see if he needed some help. Um, you know, we were ready to get, I mean, we had a little Ford Festiva, and we were ready to get into the car, drive as close to his house as we could, and then we had a little inflatable rubber raft. <laughs> okay. And, and I was going to paddle my way into his house to help get him out if we needed to. Um, fortunately we didn't come to that. So, you know, we were, we were safe there, but, uh, you know, we had, we had a few things in, in the house, you know, we had flashlights and candles and things, you know, we had, we had some basic stuff cause you know, we were living in the upper Midwest before we moved down to Texas. And so it's like, I had stuff for, you know, power outages and, little minor emergencies that, that could have popped up. And fortunately, we didn't need any of that because, I mean, we, we got lucky. Like I said, we got we were in the area that really didn't get flooded badly at all. Yeah, it sounds like you really weren't as prepared as you should have been, though. No, no, I absolutely wasn't. Um, you know, if I was caught like that in another one, I mean, my my witnessing of that one, I looked at my wife and I said, oh, my God, give me a blizzard any day. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll take seven feet of snow over seven feet of water. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, I'm from Wisconsin, too, and I remember all the major snowfall. And, yeah, flooding is flooding is really tough to deal with. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that, that kind of scared me a little bit. And, you know, so I started thinking, well, maybe I should prepare a little bit for these tropical storm things and, and you know, possible hurricanes and that kind of thing. And so that that kind of got my my ball rolling. I mean, you know, and also watching my father in law deal with 
you know, FEMA and, uh, you know, because, like I said, you know, he had two feet of water in his house. Uh, they came out. They did their investigation, and he didn't qualify for a grant, so he had to get a loan to uh, get the repairs made. And then he was dealing with that uh, for months and months. I mean, he had gotten, he had a, a neighbor who was a contractor who said, oh, I'll, I'll do it. And he gave him a bid, and then there were problems there because the guy was so overbooked with work. Oh, yeah. You know, and so, it. I mean, it was just a lot of issues that came through. I mean, the thing that really surprised me was, uh, you know, the the loan from FEMA was was actually an SBA loan. It was a small business administration loan. Oh, really? Yeah, and that's that's what it is for for disasters. For some reason, it all goes through the small business administration. Well, just probably some government bureaucracy, and that's the way they've got it set up, and exactly. and that's the way it works. All right, so Matt, let's fast forward then to two thousand and five. So then Hurricane Rita comes through not too long after Hurricane Katrina. Were you better prepared at that point? I was a little bit better prepared. Um, the biggest issue that we had actually at that time is our car had died uh, probably about a year earlier. And so we were without a vehicle. Oh, no. Without a vehicle and a hurricane coming through. Exactly. So you couldn't even, you couldn't even evacuate if you wanted to. Well, what happened, we were thinking we were going to sit it out. Um, you know, and, and part of what happened was, you know, everybody had just been through Katrina. I mean, I had friends and coworkers that were in New Orleans when Katrina hit. Yeah. And just after, I mean, and I had seen people lose everything they owned uh, in in that thing. And so, you know, I was, and, you know, we see Rita coming out and she's just getting bigger and bigger and she's a Category 5 hurricane, which is as big as you can get, mm-hmm. and she's barreling down. Well, I got lucky. Uh, a buddy of mine at work had an extra vehicle and he said, you know, look, I'll lend you the vehicle. You know, he's like, I want to get it out of town. Nice. If I can, and I'll lend you the vehicle. So... Day before, uh, let's see, so, I mean, let me look at my notes here. On the 21st, we got the vehicle, the 21st of September. Okay. And at this point, it was me and my wife and my son. My son was probably, let's see, he was born in, oh, three, so he was about a year and a half, almost two years old at this point. Yeah, which that's a tough situation. You got a toddler and a borrowed vehicle and a hurricane barreling down. Yeah, well, it was real tough. And when you, you know, it's like you started looking at the evacuation. Well, we decided, okay, my my wife's got, uh, her grandparents were up in a, there's a little town called Mahaya, Texas. Um, I've been there. Okay. Uh and they've they've got you know they were that's where they live and so it was like okay we'll make it we'll just run up to Mahaya. Well, we made our plans. We got everything packed up in the car, and you know we decided okay it's about nine o'clock at night or ten o'clock at night. I might have even been eleven at that point, you know. But we got it all loaded up. Uh, 
except for like the cooler with drinks and things like that. We mm-hmm. had that ready to roll. And we went and we got some got a little bit of sleep. We were gonna leave about four in the morning. Mm-hmm. Alarms were all set. We got up, we got moving. Um we were on the road no later than five AM. Okay. We started down the road, we got to forty five and we're on forty five heading north. Wall to wall traffic. Of course. I mean, this was the the worst traffic jam I have ever seen. Okay, let me stop you right there. Hold your thought for a minute. But you see, uh, what Matt just explained is is why you got to know several different routes out of the area that you're in. You know, perhaps there might have been another way if you had known. But was there another way other than forty five? Looking back on it, was there another way you could have taken? The the problem was is that out of Houston, there are about three main roads. There's not even back roads that'll get you out. Okay, what about the other? What about the other routes out? They were all just as badly jammed. Okay, so they were all just as badly jammed. So, yeah. so it, okay. Even if you sometimes, even if you do know alternate routes, they can all be jammed. But it's important also to know different ways to get out of your area because. If you've got, if you really need to get out and one route is jammed, it's important to know the side, some of the side streets, if there are any, to maybe get to another route that might be moving a little bit quicker. Yeah, I mean, and, and we actually did try to do that. I mean, the the worst part about it was, is that, you know, you got on the road, we got going, and we were down like a quarter tank of gas, just, you know, we'd... Well, how'd you get down to there. a quarter tank of gas? No, 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 no. We, we were... We had a full tank when we started. Oh, and you were down to a quarter tank and by the no, time we we got down a quarter tank of gas, not down to a quarter tank. Okay, of gas. so you but still we you burned off of a tank. You still burned off a quarter of a tank just sitting on forty five. Uh, just just kind of sitting there, and we got to a a gas station. We pulled in. We got a little bit of fuel, and uh, you know, and and that was a nightmare in and of itself. Yeah. You know, I mean, just everybody was everybody. And it was probably about 7 in the morning, wow. you know, when we did that. So we we got going and got back on the road. And it was, I mean, the thing you have to remember about Rita was that it was just stinking hot. Yeah. It was 100 plus degrees on the road. And this is by probably nine thirty, ten and ten in the morning. So you had two things to deal with. You had the extreme heat and you had the hurricane. Yeah. And you know, we're you know, we're listening to the weather reports, we're listening to the traffic reports, we're we're listening to everything and, and everybody's going, Oh my god, you know, you gotta get out and da 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 you know you're you're just you know, you, this this idea of panic starts to set in and this Oh my God! You know, gotta leave, gotta leave, gotta leave, and that's where you're focused. Well, in the midst of all this, it was probably about eleven thirty. Um, we're in the car. It's just it's incredibly hot. We've got the windows open. We're trying to keep the car from overheating. You know, and all of a sudden, my my son is sitting in the seat in the car seat next to me. I'm in the back seat with him. And he just kind of goes, you know, makes this little gurgle noise. 
and his head flops over. Ugh. And I'm like, oh, crap. And I'm yelling at my wife, get off the road, get off the road. You know, the, the baby's passed out. You know, and he oh, just had died. Man. And so we're, we whipped into the nearest parking lot. We got real lucky. We were by a, a mall, although on 45, that's pretty much what you find. Right. Everywhere. But we whipped into a mall parking lot opened and we stepped out of that car and we were barely under any type of shade but we stepped out of that car and i tell you it was probably 98 100 degrees outside we got out of that car i felt like it was 20 degrees cooler outside of that car really i mean we just we got out we got him into the shade I ran to a liquor store, I got a bottle of vodka, and started. we started wiping him down to cool him off. He came out of it real fast. So it was heat exhaustion was his problem. It, it really was. I mean, and we'd been keeping him hydrated, and, you know, he'd been drinking and, and everything. So he's, it, it wasn't like we weren't uh, prepared for it. We were trying to keep him hydrated and and keep him cool as best we could and uh you know he just he was exhausted you know he he got the heat exhaustion so we sat there for you know about probably about an hour and then we started i started looking at the map and i said you know this is where we're at we can go over this way and we can get up on this road and this will take us directly into Mahaya. mm-hmm and so we said, okay, let's do that. You know, we started to do that. We got over and we got to a, you know, we were at the, this point, you know, it's probably two or three in the afternoon, maybe even a little later. Right. We're still not out of Houston proper. Well, really? So you're still not out of the, out of Metro Houston? We were not out of the metro area of Houston. So, how, okay, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm dying to ask this. So how did it all end? Tell us how it ended and what helped you and what didn't help you throughout the whole process. Um, how it all ended really was uh, we pulled into a gas station. My wife started to suffer from heat exhaustion as well. We got her under some water and got her cooled down. We sat. And we were watching the traffic just flow north on, uh-huh. the, on the road that we wanted. And probably about 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock that night, you know, we saw the last of the traffic go by. And we looked at each other and we were like, well, should we try it? And we decided, okay, we'll, we'll give it one last shot. We got half a tank of gas. It's nighttime. It seems to be dying down. You know, maybe we'll get lucky. We drove up two more exits, and all we could see was taillights. Huh. And at that point, we looked at each other and said, Nope, thank you very much. We're going to turn around and go home. Oh, jeez, okay. We, we were in extreme North Houston, uh, you know, and we turned around and we made it back. We lived in extreme southwest Houston. Uh, we made it back home in 30 minutes. 
which okay, a- anybody who knows Houston knows that that's a rarity. Um, thir- Thirty minutes might get you half a mile down a road. Yeah, on a normal day. Uh, but we made it. We made it back home in thirty minutes. Uh, came back in and uh, just decided we were going to ride it out the apartment we were in. Uh, we had put, you know, stuff up in the windows to to keep it from breaking out and to kind of protect it. And so you went back home. That's how it ended. That's how it ended. We went back home and uh, you know we got home about nine thirty at night and. We, we made the little bit of preparations that we needed to make that, that we just, because we hadn't been there um, to do them. And we said, okay, we're done. And we went to bed. Okay, so Matt, for the benefit of the listeners, let's use some 2020 hindsight here. Mm-hmm. And what would you do differently with regards to Hurricane Rita? If, if you knew it was coming and now that you've had an experience, what would you do differently? Um, if I decided that I was going to leave, I would have left a heck of a lot earlier, probably two to three days earlier. Okay. Why? Um, just because the traffic was just insane. Yeah. Uh, you know, we were on the road probably, what, about 15, 16 hours, mm-hmm. and we never made it out of Houston. And we were, you know, and I started, I mean, we started the day early. You know, thinking, okay, we'll get on the road and we'll just keep moving. But there were so many problems and they were not prepared for, you know, this is this is one of those 2020 hindsight things is even the local governments and the state government wasn't prepared for the number of people trying to leave a major metropolitan area. Of course they're not prepared for that. So if you'd have left two or three days earlier, it would have been a whole lot easier. So, you know, lesson learned to some people, if you're going to evacuate, you know, get out when, get out as early as you possibly can. Absolutely. And if, you, if you're going to decide to stay there, um, have things in place, have things ready. I mean, we had hurricane kits and stuff. I mean, one of the things that we wound up doing as I was loading up the car, my neighbor downstairs, a uh, sweet woman, uh, mother of two kids, her husband was uh, a disabled vet or, or something. He was in, he was a, in the VA, uh, hospitalized in the VA at this point. Um, and I, I don't remember what for, but he was... You know, she was a nice woman, and she's running around. She's going, they say a hurricane's coming. I don't have any idea what I need to do. I, I can't find any place that's open. I can't get any batteries. I can't get anything. I said, well, what do you need? And she said, I need batteries. I, I have a couple of flashlights, but I don't have any batteries. Oh, flashlights, but she didn't have any batteries. She didn't have any batteries. It worked. I ran upstairs. I said, hey, look, let me run. Let me go upstairs. I've got some batteries. You can have them. You know, I'm not going to be in town for this, I, or I wasn't planning on it. You know, I said I'm not going to be here for this. You can have these. I'm not going to use them. Not going to need them. Here you go. You know, it, I'm I'm learning more and more. It's about community in doing the prepping. Yeah, it is. But doesn't it kind of make you sad that there are people like like her that that just didn't even have any batteries? Oh yeah, I mean. Well, I think it's there's there's a, a group of people that are that are out there that 
you know, there's some that are just oblivious to any type of disaster like this. Um, and then there's a group of people in, and I, I think truly the, the thing about Rita was that we had just seen what Katrina did to New Orleans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we had about 20,000 people in town from New Orleans. You know, our, our population in Houston had grown about 20,000 with all the evacuees. And so they had been through this. And so they're going, oh, my God, it's coming again. Yeah. And, I mean, part of the problem was is we had people on 45 with U-Haul trucks. And they had filled U-Haul trucks. Huh. And they were trying to drive out of Houston with everything they owned. Oh, wow. So I, I'm picturing all this. Okay, so one thing you would have done was left two to three days earlier. Is there anything else you would have done differently? Um, well, if I, you know, I, I would have looked at things. I, would, I probably would have left two to three days earlier. If I wasn't going to leave, I would have just, I would have made myself a little more secure and I would have stayed. You know, it's... How would you have made yourself more secure? Uh, I think... Um, we we would have I would have probably done a little more with my windows, I mean to to make sure that they weren't going to go through. But even what I did uh, on part of it was, you know, I went around uh, with my brother-in-law. Uh, yeah, he was living next door to us in the apartment with his mom, and so my brother-in-law, and mother-in-law, they decided they were going to stay. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to. They didn't want to leave. Um. But uh, before we left, we went around the the whole complex, and we were picking up loose trash and throwing things away because, you know, my wife uh, went through Hurricane Alicia on Galveston. Mm -hmm. Uh, My mother-in-law went through Alicia on Galveston. Uh, My mother-in-law, I think, went through, I think it was Camille. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, we got a little bit. Sorry, Matt. We got a little bit of. Hey, Matt. We just had a little bit of a disconnection there. Sorry. Um, okay. Yeah, we just had a little bit of a blip in our Skype uh, Skype connection there. So you were saying that one thing that you would do differently is stay in and make yourself more secure. So so bugging in, but being more prepared, right? Yeah, you know, being more prepared, having having the food stuffs that you need, having everything set, having disaster kits specific to what you're dealing with. You know, being ready to 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 be uh, you know self sufficient for three, four days a week. You know. Okay. And so, you know, what you're talking about here is just kind of the basic stuff, the basic preparedness and survival stuff, but it's it's stuff that a lot of people just seem to forget. They just seem to overlook it. And so many folks end up like that uh, sweet lady that you were talking about that just don't take any precautions to get prepared at all and then finds herself looking for batteries while a hurricane's coming. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it. I mean, you know, this was probably nine or ten at night. She was looking to see, if, figure out where she could get batteries, where she could get uh, some other little stuff, and she was looking for food. 
Okay, so Matt, let me ask you something else. I'm a firm believer that psychology plays a huge role in your ability to survive. In other words, what is your mental state? What is your psychology? What, what kind of mindset and a frame of mind are you in? Try to, try to think back. Think about what it was like emotionally and mentally for you. Oh, um, yeah, that's, it. that's the other thing is it's like you, you, you just you kind of hit on something there. It's, what I remember of that is, is that kind of overwhelming panic, that idea that, oh, my God, here's a Category 5 storm coming. It's going to hit Houston. It's going to do exactly the same thing that Katrina did. Mm-hmm. It's going to wipe Houston off the map. And, you know, I mean, and this was going through everybody's mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but then then we're on the road and there's just traffic all around and people are, you know, you, you, you see the best and the worst of humanity. Yeah, <laughs> explain and, that. And that interest, and that, I mean, I, I saw people getting angry and getting upset with other people. And yelling and screaming, and then conversely, I, I saw things like, you know, people stopping and double checking. You know, it's like, are you okay? Do you need, uh, do you need help? Uh, you know, do you need something to drink? Do you need, you know, like when my wife was suffering with with heat exhaustion, we got her to this water spigot. We got her under it to get her cooled. And, you know, we had people didn't even know saying, here, let me, I've got, I've got cold water in my car. Let me get you, let me get you some water. Okay. So you saw, you saw people getting angry. So you saw the best and the worst of humanity, which is, you know, and that's something I want people to realize. That's what's going to happen. I've talked about that. You're going to see people who are going to be very, very helpful and people who are going to be very, you know, willing to help others. And you're going to see people who are angry. And what were they angry about? They were angry because they couldn't get out. Because they couldn't what? They were angry. They couldn't get out. They they couldn't move down the road. They couldn't get their gas. They couldn't get, you know, the things that they wanted, needed, or even perceived that they needed. I mean, you know, some of these people were probably upset, you know, gee, I didn't have a, you know, I don't have a pack of cigarettes. Yeah, so they were angry because, oh my God, life was not normal anymore. Exactly. It It was... This is this is a, a whole new thing. I I can't do what I want to do when I want to do it. You know, and and see, this is uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna interject here. This is what Glenn Tate writes about so well in his books. You know, he talks about normalcy bias or normalcy bias. I can't figure out exactly how that's pronounced, but most people know what I mean. You know, they're biased towards the normal all the time. And oh my God, when things aren't normal, life is coming to an end. That's one of the big problems we have. Would you agree? Absolutely. It's it's this this idea that oh. Well, I'll just go to the store and, and get some food. Yeah. <laughs> or I'll just run down to this, you know. I mean, I'll, I'll admit, I even went, you know, I'm grilling out for the family today. It's, uh, you know, Labor Day, and we're we're doing a thing. It's my son's birthday is tomorrow. So we're doing this whole big, you know, party thing. So I'm grilling out. I forgot to get ice. Mm-hmm. I forgot to get ice this morning. And I'm thinking, oh, crap, all the stores are closed. You know, and my wife's going, ah, just run down to the gas station. They'll be open. And they were. But, you know, it's it's just that idea now, I just don't ever count 
on anything being open anymore. Yeah, or you can't able to anything anymore because it's like I remember that. You know, I remember you pull into a gas station. I mean, for two and a half, three days in Houston, you could pull into a gas station, and they weren't open because they didn't either. They either didn't have gas, or they didn't have staff. Mm-hmm. And you know, you were we were sitting running around, you know, trying to do things around Houston, and there was no gas. Yeah. See, and ah, you just hit on something else. There was no gas. Well, you know, in the last interview that I had when I had Glenn Tate on the show a couple weeks ago, you know, and if you read his books, he talks about storing gasoline. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd love to do that, but I, that's one of those things that scares me. Why does that scare you? It's, well, because it does go bad, and then keeping it in, in the proper settings that you need to keep it in. I mean... I've got a house. I mean, we've, we've got our, our, our little house right now and stuff, but I, I worry my garage gets a little too warm. And I, I just, I know it's not going to be warm enough to set it off to. No, it's not. You know, to make it explode. But, you know, with all the weather we've had just recently where we've, you know, 100 some degree days, my car hasn't been happy. And, uh, you know, so it's like, ah, oh, man, I don't want to be messing with gasoline in in a hot contained you know building and I don't want to take it you know it's like I've got a shed out back and I might start to to store a few gallons back there but even still you know my thought is on that is it's like okay a few gallons would be good to have for a short term emergency but if it's going to be long term you may as well just forget about using that vehicle or having it and just getting to a bug out location and then don't even think about using it again after that. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying it's impossible for those, uh, those red plastic gas cans to explode, but you know, there are, there are ways to keep it. First of all, you can preserve it. You can use stable and you can preserve it. And you can also rotate it. If you rotate it every three or four months, just dump that into your car and use it and then fill it up with new. Uh, you avoid that problem of going bad. If you store it properly, it's, it's, it's not going to explode. Well, good. And, you know, that's, again, that's something I've been looking into, but it's, it's one of those lower priority items. I'm kind of like, well... I don't know if I really want to store gasoline and, and with two young children, that was the other issue too. I was like, ah, you know, they'll, they have a tendency to get into things and you start to go, boy, I wish that that was, you know, that they hadn't gotten into that or, you know, you can also store gas in commercial grade gas cans too. Yeah, and and that's again that's something I may uh, start looking into to see, you know what what options I have with that. I, it's it's one of those things that's been on a lower priority to, for me to start storing it. You know, but now, I'm I'm looking at, at a few more things, and now that we have a house and other things that could possibly benefit from having a store of gasoline, you know, I'm kind of like, well, that might not be such a bad idea to do. Yeah, yeah. All right, so um, we were discussing, uh, we're basically on the topic of things that you do differently. Yeah, I mean, I 
like I said, I I think I really the the big thing is I I, I really think I'd learn not to panic. Right. Yeah, don't listen to the doomsayers who are going, oh my God, the world's going to end. And it's like, well, wait a minute, let's look at this realistically. Is the world actually going to end or are we just in for a really bad storm? You know, and then there's going to be, you know, the problems that, that you deal with with that. But, you know, is there stuff that we can do to, to mitigate that issue with the storm? Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of starting to look at, at those kind of options as, as opposed to the, I'm going to be the, oh my God, we're going to, we're all going to die. And this is, you know, all this is going to, all this bad stuff is going to happen to us because we're going to have this huge storm and, you know, things are just not going to be the same. It's like, all right, let's let's try to eliminate the panic. Let's start looking at the real realistic scenarios of what's going to happen. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, hurricane. Okay, well, could lose power. Could lose. And this is, I, you know, this is kind of stuff you've talked about before too. Is you know, it's look at when you start prepping. Look at what you you have as possibilities you know like here in texas mm-hmm. i'm not gonna prep for a blizzard <laughs> no you know? it, the likelihood of getting a blizzard down here is very very minimal and if it happens well there's other problems that you know we we've got going on rather than you know than, than just a, a little bit of of snow right but you know, I'm I'm looking at trying to you know prep for what's realistic. Okay. And I'm I'm starting to learn. Uh, you know, it's like okay, well let's let's prep for flash floods. Uh, let's you know keep an eye on the the realistic scenarios. You know, tropical storms, uh, tornadoes, uh, wildfires. Those are, are things that are down here that, you know, definitely can happen. Exactly. And that's what we should be prepping for. Um, and, you know, our drought and everything else like we, we have right now. Yeah, water storage, water storage, water storage. Yep, that's that's kind of next on my list is is to start getting some more water storage in. And it's, unfortunately, it's a little late this year because we've probably had our big rains. But... Yeah. Uh, well, no, I think we got some more coming up this fall. Yeah. Well, that could be if I can get it in soon enough. I can start storing some and have some for the garden. So. Yeah. All right, Matt. Well, thanks for joining me. To you know, it's it's good to talk to people who have been through something so that they can talk about their experiences because other people who are listening to this can probably relate. There's probably people that have been through, well, I know that there are people listening to this that have been through tropical storms and hurricanes, and there's some that have not. And, you know, the same theme, every time I talk to somebody who survived a disaster, the same theme seems to seems to come to light, and that is there are a lot of people that just are clueless, that don't have any idea that they should be planning for some of this stuff, and they panic when it's too late. Yeah, and and I think there's also, I mean, one thing that I'm going to say is 
you know, don't feed off the panic uh, that you see. That's a real good point. Because, um, you know, it's like the minute I start seeing like a disaster, I start to limit how much time I spend watching the media and, and getting news reports. Because all that starts to do is starts feeding that panic. That's a good one. Well, we, we live in this, this information age where, you know, it's like we got to have news 24 hours. Well, what happens? I mean, you know, what happened with 9-11? What happened with Katrina? Every time you turned on the news, every time you turned on the TV, there was an update. Mm-hmm. There was something new. And half the time they weren't telling you anything new. It was, well, this just in, these things happened. It's like, well, yeah, we've known about that. We knew that happened. You know, why are we repeating ourselves over and over again? Exactly. Yeah. And <laughs> but it's you know, but what happens and and a lot of what we did with Allison, you know, my wife and I we watched the news and because we were in the city where it was happening, it was twenty four seven. Yeah. News coverage, and they were talking about, you know, Coast Guard helicopters, you know, coming through town, rescuing people off the tops of buildings, and flooding in this area. And it's want to watch it because it's news, but it's also these kind of truly heroic stories. But all it starts to do is is it feeds to that sense of panic. And, you know, we were watching news and coverage of, of Rita, and we were on the road, and all we were doing was listening to coverage of Rita. And, you know, it's like, traffic on 45 is at a standstill. It's like, well, gee, you know, I can look out my car window and see that. Yeah, duh. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, and I like your idea about not giving into the panic, remaining calm. You know, we've heard this a lot. Probably everybody has heard this. So remain calm in a disaster. It's not easy to do, but if you can figure out how to do it, you can think clearer. You can make better decisions. Um, you know, uh, being in a state of panic is not ever a good thing, whether there's a disaster or not. Well, that, that's the funny thing is, you know, while we were trying to evacuate, I, I don't think we were ever really in the state of panic where a lot of people were. We were trying to get out. We were trying to figure it out. We were frustrated because we, we couldn't figure a way out. Yeah. But the... The insidiousness of it was it just that constant bombardment of there's no way out or these lanes are blocked and this is that and this you know all of this stuff that was just kept being repeated and here you're in the middle of it trying to 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 stay calm mm-hmm. and and trying to figure out what you're doing and it's like suddenly you're going my God how how are we going to get out of here. But, you know, it's like when my son passed out, I mean, we were, it's like we weren't panicked. We, we knew what we had to do, and we got off the road. And when my wife started having problems, we got off the road, and, and we got her underwater and, you know, got her cooled down. And, you know, so it's like we started to, but there, there's just that, that underlying panic of, 
you know, everybody around you is going, got to get out, got to get out, got to get out, got to get out, got to get out. Mm -hmm. And and that just kind of plays into your mind. And there's this kind of sense of urgency that you need to be doing something. It's not even, I, I don't even want to call it panic. It's, it's just this odd sense of urgency because I, I don't think I, I was panicking in a traditional sense where everything froze up and I didn't know what to do. Right. No, you weren't in that. But there, there are some people that do that. There are some people that are oh, yeah. so panicked they're frozen up. Yeah, I mean, I've 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 witnessed that. I've I've seen bad accidents. I've seen, you know, people, you know, doing that. I mean, fortunately, you know, I've I've been in situations where, you know, it's like, okay, you know, this person I had, you know, uh, when I was in high school, a buddy of mine, we were in in a scene shop using power tools, and he took his fingertips off with a saw. Ooh. And yeah, it, it was not it was not pretty, but. Uh, the the guy who did it was you know when he, the guy he was working with just freaked out mm-hmm. and I was like okay wait let's get you know and I got some bandages and and we got some some covering for the wounds and we got him to the ER you know they they called an ambulance they got him to the ER and stuff and you know he just lost a little bit of a fingertip at at the you know in the worst the rest of it was it all healed, you know, looking normal. But, you know, I mean, I'm here I'm watching this person going, ah, screaming, yeah. and I'm going, dude, that's not helping anybody right now. No. And, you know, you, you've got to, it's, you know, fortunately, I, I keep a cool head in, in those kinds of situations. I'm, I'm very, you know, I, I say this to myself, it's like I'm very blessed that I can keep a cool head in that. My wife keeps a cool head and where each of us starts to maybe cross that line the other one kind of can pull them back and say wait 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 you know let's look at this realistically this is this this is this and any other one's like oh yeah that's true okay let's you know calm down a little bit you know we're not we're not in this situation we're not going to die we're not going to be you know whatever you know it's it's we're able to to work together as a team and it's you know, it's it's really a, a blessing, and and learning how to do that is is something I think everybody needs to know. Is just learning that don't panic, just kind of stay focused on on what needs to happen. You see somebody injured, okay, what can you do to help? Sometimes you can't do anything to help. That's right, and that's one of those things you have to realize. You know, and I know Ben has talked about this on, on his podcast. You know, it's like sometimes you can't help the person. Right. And you have to make that decision. And, you know, and that actually, that sets it up for another topic later. That's that's pretty good. You know, I think I might do a podcast coming up. You know, when do you decide to help and when do you not decide to help? It's a tough decision. Yeah. Yeah. That I think that would be a great podcast. <laughs> All right, I'll do. I'll, I'll I'll research that one. Well, Matt, thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on and sharing your experiences. It makes a, a big difference to do that, and hopefully, it's helped some people. Oh, you're welcome, Bob. And you know, part of my thinking is, you know, whatever I can do to help people to to get them forward, and part of it's also to pay back for all of the help that I've gotten from listening to your podcasts. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate that very much, and uh, means a lot coming from you and. Uh, Keep prepping on. I I will, Bob. You take care. All right, take care. Later. Thanks. Bye.
Bye bye. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate your time. Remember, folks, these people donate their time. I don't pay people for interviews, and these people donate their time. So give back. Give back if you can. I, I'm going to talk a little bit more about giving back if you can, but i got to tell you some things I've been doing here on the prepping front. Since I did the episode with Glenn Tate, I decided to start beefing up my gasoline storage. So... I've got extra gasoline stored, and I'm storing it the proper way. That's very important, folks, storing gasoline and using stable to stabilize it. It'll store for a significant amount of time. The key is to write the date on it, just like I do with my water storage, and rotate it. As a matter of fact, that just reminded me it's time to rotate my water storage. So what I'm going to do is start using some of the water that I have that has been stored for quite some time. And uh, look at the dates and obviously pull out the oldest first and then start replenishing some of my water storage. Water, gasoline, and food. You know, especially those of you that have generators. you got to have gas to run your generators, right? You can even use your car as a small generator. If you have enough gas, you can run your car. And as long as you got a power inverter, the proper one, you can actually run some small appliances and run some small things and do things like charge computers and charge cell phones and even run, run very small refrigerators or even run a normal size refrigerator if you have the right power inverter. You can do that as long as you have gasoline to either throw in your car or gasoline to put into your generator. So... Things like that. You know, Glenn Tate talked about the gas shortage that will most likely come if there is a partial collapse, which is most likely going to come. Not a matter of when, it's, or excuse me, not a matter of if, it's a matter of when it's going to come. So work on things like that. Now, next week, next week I got some great audio. Mexican Joe has... Actually, I think he's decided to get into podcasting a little bit. It's kind of cool. <laughs> I like it. You know, he's sort of a he's sort of a good little partner for me. Mexican Joe, thank you very much. Super Dave, thank you very much. You guys up there in Northeast Texas, I, I do plan on coming up there to visit you guys one of these days. It's just a time thing. As soon as I can carve out the time to get up there. That's the problem, folks, is and most of you know my situation with my family situation and my wife's health challenges and things. I have to be home as much as I possibly can. Family always comes first, and I think that you guys can understand that. But to both of you guys up there who have been such a help on the podcast and such a great help on the forum, I will be up there to visit in the not-too-distant future. But Mexican Joe sent me some great audio. I'm going to play it for you next week. I've got some good comments about what he said. But one of the best ones he sent me was preppers as a corporation. How do you treat prepping as if you're running your own corporation or your own business? It's quite interesting. And I've got some ideas that I'm going to add to that as well. So Mexican Joe uh, has some good stuff, and we're going to hear about that next week. I want to thank all of you who have been supporting my show by going to my Amazon store. I don't get a chance to see who's placing the orders. Amazon doesn't give me that information, but I do get to see the number of orders coming in and what people are buying. I have an Amazon Affiliates program, and you can help out the show without spending any extra money. I don't run commercials on this show, and I don't have sponsors sending me checks every month, and I don't play commercials for you to listen to. It's a commercial-free, information-packed podcast. 
So you can support my show if you want. If you're going to make an Amazon purchase, go over to my website, todayssurvival.com. Remember, there's two S's in that web address. Todayssurvival.com. There's a, there's a link in the menu there. There's a, there's a little thing you can click on in the menu that says Amazon Store. Just click that and go into Amazon using my link. If you do that, whatever you purchase, Amazon sends me a small little um, token of appreciation for it. And it's working quite well. Quite a few of you are doing it. And thank you very much. You get to buy everything at normal Amazon prices. You know, um, Amazon's not always the best deal, but sometimes they have the best deal on something. So please purchase it through my link. Bookmark that link or save it or do something and use that every time you decide to go to Amazon. Also, I've got some very good Survival Champions Club podcasts. And uh, I've got some brand new ones as well. You can get the whole collection for $75, or you can buy them for 25 bucks a piece. You'll see Survival Champions Club at my website, todayssurvival.com. And also, if you want to follow me on Facebook and Twitter, you can find my links at my website, todayssurvival.com. Finally, if you want to email me, my email address is bob at todayssurvival.com. Remember, there's two S's, todayssurvival.com. Bob at todayssurvival.com. Love to hear from you. I read all the emails. I don't get a chance to respond to everyone because I do get quite a few. But I can promise you, your email will get read word for word. With all that said, folks, thanks very much to listening to another episode of today's survival show. It's my goal to help you do what you can with what you have, where you are, keeping prepping full of common sense and no tin foil hat. Thanks a lot. I'll talk to you next week. Goodbye.